I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. Uh, not to be confused with the other Adam, uh, who uh, just helped lead us in worship. And thankful for um, all four of you being here and um, really just ushering us um, before God to, to celebrate and to worship Him. And um, I, I hope you I hope you just feel blessed in this moment um, at the opportunity just to come face to face. Um, to connect with uh, our God. And uh, I want to welcome you uh, to Element Church. Uh, when you walked in this morning, you were handed something uh, that we call a worship guide. And uh, uh, you'll notice there's some information in there. We'll cover most of that at the end of the service today. Um, but that we are in a series called Natural Rhythms. And uh, whether you have the worship guide in your hand or some of you already have your Bible app open, uh, if you have the your, the Bible app on your phone or your tablet, you can open it up, click events, um, and the first thing that will pop up is Element Church. And so if you click Element Church, this logo will appear. And then uh, the scriptures we're going to cover today, the announcements we're going to make during the service today, uh, all those things are already laid out for you. Um, and, and we're doing a series called Natural Rhythms because we recognize that there are just natural rhythms to life. Um, they change depending on what life stage you're in, whether you're in college or your first job or unemployment or your lifelong career, uh, whether you're climbing a ladder or you've already reached the top of the ladder you were trying to climb, whether you have kids or um, are about to have kids or your kids uh, are out of the house or in the house. Every, every different life stage um, just brings about dif different rhythms uh, of how life functions. Um, and there are also different rhythms of life based on the culture in which you live. Uh, in the United States, January just provides certain natural rhythms um, every year for us to explore. Um, we've touched on a few things already this month um, in that in many aspects, whether you do New Year's resolutions or not, that uh, in January, we tend to think about new beginnings and fresh starts and making changes. And so there are certain things that we do naturally every January. Um, and there are some other rhythms uh, that we want to explore as well. So this whole series in the month of January um, each individual message seems somewhat disconnected to the other, um, but they're connected in that we're exploring just some natural rhythms of life that happen in January, and we're using those natural rhythms um, as launching points for covering certain topics, just like Jesus did in his ministry, whether he was walking by a fig tree and he would stop and use the fig tree as an example, or he's walking by a field ready for harvest and he would use it as a teaching tool, or whether he was utilizing certain um, celebrations and celebrations and festivals within his culture, he would use them as teaching tools, and we're doing the same thing. And this weekend presents two different uh, reasons for us or topics for us to explore that we normally don't associate with one another but are intricately uh, connected. Obviously, for most of us are aware, probably most of us are aware, I guess it depends on what your job is and whether you have tomorrow off, uh, but that this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, uh, where we remember uh, the life of Dr. King and the influence that he had, and probably more than anything, trying to remember and honor the legacy of what he tried to bring about and changes that he tried to instill and lead within our culture. This weekend also um, is what most people don't ever talk about in our culture, um, but National Sanctity of Life 
weekend uh, that was uh, inaugurated by President Reagan in 1984. And they don't always fall on the same weekend. They do this year. And for almost every year since Element Church got its start, um, we've taken two Sundays every January um, to talk about um, the value of human life and um, the beauty of racial diversity within God's creative order. Um, and how that impacts us in our church and the ministries within our church. Um, normally, they're divided up and separated. This week, we're actually going to tackle both together um, to see how they're united in some key foundations um, that lie behind why we value all people. And so if you will, if you don't already have the Bible app open, then I'm going to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to tie these two ideas together. Um, and there's probably some things that you would wish I would say that I'm not going to cover today. And if there are aspects of either one of these things that you're passionate about or you're hoping I'm going to cover or talk about or you're hoping I'm not going to cover and not talk about, um, if, if there are particular, like you want to dive deeper into these issues, you are more than welcome to go back and to review um, former messages. All of our past messages, they're recorded every Sunday. Um, they're on our website. I'm not trying to give any kind of shameless plug or anything, but um, I guess that is what I'm doing. But, um, but you can go on our website when you go click on sermons and you can search by um, sermon series. You can search by speaker name. So we've had a lot of different speakers and guest speakers, and sometimes those guest speakers come back regularly. You can search by their name. You can also search by date. And so if you just go back, we did not, I did not preach on either one of these topics last year in 2018. It's the first time I haven't done it. Um, but if you go back in previous years, I devoted whole Sundays to them and, and get much more into detail than I'm going today, going to today. But um, you, you can do that if you'd like. They're just in January every year but last year. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to try to answer certain questions that some of you may want to know or have about this text or struggles that you have. We're not talking today about how or when um, God created, about the time frame or the processes through which he used. But here's what we are going to focus on is the whole purpose of the passage and to teach us about God's design uh, for our world. And what we notice right off the top that appears even more so if we had read the whole chapter um, and, and got to look at more of creation, is that human beings take a special place in the pinnacle of God's creative order. And that there are things that are different about us than there are different about anything else that God has made. And the most obvious, I think, is that our relationship with the Lord is different. Now, Genesis teaches this, but most of us could recognize this reality maybe even without Genesis, right? 
your pets don't go to bed anxious about tomorrow. They don't worry about the future. They don't worry about how they're going to provide for themselves or those around them. They don't go to bed feeling guilt and shame. Now, some of you, you think you have smart dogs, and you're like, no, when I come home, my dog has done something wrong. He knows, all right? Um, That's not guilt. It's not shame. It's fear of punishment, right? Um, Impressive that they can do it. My dog does it too. I get it. But they don't worry about the consequences of the shame or the guilt that might lie deep inside because there isn't any that lie deep inside. You and I have this unique ability to understand and to be self-aware, but we're not just self-aware of our existence. We're self-aware of our own shortcomings and our own problems and the problems in this world that we feel deep grief, grief over and responsibility for. There's something different about how you and I relate to God than anything else in the creative order. Second, our, our relationship not only with God, but our relationship with the creative order is different. You and I feel a level of responsibility about this world and taking care of this world, about making smart decisions, about being responsible. The agricultural industry mostly that coming from cows themselves, create more greenhouse gases than the transportation industry every year. Nobody's angry at cows about it. Right? They just do what they do. And they don't feel guilt, and we don't blame them. We have a different level of responsibility when it comes to the creative order. So the way in which we relate to God is different. The way we... in in which we relate to the creation is different, and the way we relate to one another is different. We understand that there is greater value on human life than any other life. If anyone were ever in a position where you had to choose between a child or a pet, right? it's not actually a decision. The decision was made before the option ever came open. We understand that there's greater value to human life than there is to uh, animal life or plant life. Now, that doesn't mean we have no regard for animal life. We have no regard for creation. But it does mean that we recognize that human life has more value. Think of the worst moments in all of human history. Just in your mind. like, Just think back and just your top three. And everyone could put it in different orders what you would select, what are the three darkest moments in all of human history? And I can promise you this, no matter what your answers are or how you rank them at anyone in this room, all of it surrounds when human life was disregarded. The darkest moments in all of history, they all have one thing in common, and it's when human life was treated uh, as dispensable as though it didn't matter, or as though some human life had more value than other human life. Because we recognize there's an intrinsic value. Now, here's what we normally do. 
Normally, when we talk about the value of human life, we associate that with humans bearing the image of God. And the strongest text for that is Genesis 1, what we just read, that you and I, that all of humanity was created in God's image, and it's what makes us different. It's what makes our lives have more intrinsic value. It's what allows us to relate to God in a different way, relate to one another in a different way, relate to creation in a different way, because we bear an image that the rest of creation and the creative order doesn't bear. But I want to show you two other texts that will prove or illustrate or support the same idea outside of Genesis 1 outside of just the original uh, description of God's role in creation, that this idea that God is involved not just in the beginning of time or the beginning of creation or the beginning of humanity or however you read Genesis 1 and how it fits into your worldview or framework for understanding um, our world, but it's an understanding that it wasn't just a one-time event but that God is intimately involved in every one of our lives and the creation of all human life. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. So it'll be on the screen. It's already there in the Bible app for you, or you can turn there if you'd like. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 And he, that's God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So this isn't just a one-time God was involved in the creation of one set of humans And then the rest just takes natural processes. I mean, none of us are sitting in here denying that there are natural processes to how human beings come into this world. But what we also recognize is that God is at work behind the scenes. That your personality and your physical characteristics, the things that make you unique, are make you unique but not by accident. That you live and where you live and the time frame in which you live and the parents to whom you were born is not an accident but was a part of God's design for you. That God has been involved in all of our lives long before we recognized it or we were even capable of recognizing it. So here's what I want to do. What are the implications of the image of God for you and I? Specifically this Sunday morning, what are we trying to accomplish? Number one, this isn't a political message. I'm not big into politics. Don't really care that much for politicians. I think most of them are self-serving, aren't interested in me or you. I don't know everyone's political affiliation in this room, but we're a small enough church that 
I mean, half of us like hang out together all the time and we're at each other's homes. Like conversations happen. And, and I know that this room is, is diverse in political affiliations and in how people choose to vote. Now, I never ask. So there's no pressure. Like you don't have to share with anyone in this room who you vote for. But I know that in this room, there's a diversity of political affiliations, who you registered uh, under, and who you choose to vote for. I know that we have a diversity of people, some who are socially liberal and some who are socially conservative, that there are some who are economically liberal and some who are economically conservative, and a mixture of all in between. This is not a political message. If anything, this is a biblical message about the value of all human beings who are created by God in his image, that everything about them from their physical traits to their personalities to their characteristics and the time and place of their existence are designed by God. That's what this is about. And so here's some implications for each of us. Number one, no one in this room is innocent. It would be tempting to think that, hey, I'm not a racist. I've never had an abortion. I've never encouraged an abortion. So this message is for the next person. The implications for this weekend, because of certain holidays and how they fall, the natural rhythms of our society, are that the value of, the, of human life extends to all people in all development stages of all skin colors. No life is any more valuable than another. And it doesn't matter how far or how little development has taken place or the color of your skin or the background or your ethnicity. All human life is valuable. But none of us in here are innocent. This isn't a soapbox to point out people who have have had some explicit actions in their life that they may, maybe they don't regret or maybe you do regret. No one is innocent. Because all of us have looked at another person at some point in our lives and said, I'm better than you for whatever reason. It may have been because your skin color or it may have been because of how much money you have in your account. Or it may have be because of how you dress and how you present yourself. It may be because of your criminal record versus theirs. All of us at some point in life have looked at another human being and thought, I'm better than you. And this is a challenge to every one of us that everyone equally bears God's image and is equally worthy of love and honor and respect and care. No one in this room is innocent. No one in this room is standing on a soapbox and pointing fingers because we're all guilty. I have for a long time loved the social sciences and, uh, and biblical studies. Uh, and my most recent degree in my thesis, my goal was to bring those two worlds together. And, um, and I spent a lot of time studying um, something called social identity theory and self-categorization theory, uh, which just talk about how you and I um, tend to view ourselves and understand our own identities based upon the groups to, to, to whom we belong to. And we view other people based on whether or not they're a part of our group or not. And utilizing that filter to study certain texts in the New Testament was the basis of my thesis. But the, the, the reason I bring it up is because 
all of us, even Christians in the New Testament, even the people that we tend to think of like the Hall of Fame believers, those people who made it in the Bible like they're super Christians, wrestle with this idea of insiders and outsiders, people who are like us and people who are different than us. And the challenge of the gospel is that it breaks down walls of hostility. It breaks down walls that separate people who may be different but can be united in Christ because we equally bear the image of God. We're equally guilty and deserving of punishment and are equally at God's mercy and grace for his love and his care and his forgiveness. So the first point I want to make is that no one in this room is innocent. No one's standing on a soapbox. The other uh, point that I want to make is, is that you and I, neither one of us nor anyone has the right to choose whose life is more valuable than someone else's. And it doesn't matter what demographic or what characteristic you may want to use, whether it's background or age or wealth or, or status symbol or occupation, uh, the color of your skin or the color of the skin of the people who are somewhere in your family tree, what language you speak, how old you are or how developed you are, no one has the right to choose the value as one life is more valuable than another. Now, there used to be a day when we used to think that science would eventually win the day, right? The whole debate around the pro-life, pro-choice uh, divide used to be about determining when life begins. That used to be the bait, debate. And we used to think science would eventually win the day. Science would eventually answer the question and resolve the issue. But if you notice, the, the, the question today has shifted. Nobody talks about when life begins anymore. Now we talk about whose life is more valuable. Whose rights supersede another's? And if you look back on human history, people and cultures who have tried to ask and answer that question enter, enter, enter into a very, very dark place. The moment you begin trying to decide whose life is more valuable than whom is a dangerous game to play, and it leads you to a dark place. They did it in this former Soviet Union. And under Stalin, over 40 million of their own people were murdered trying to answer that question. They did it with the Nazis under Hitler's leadership, and 30 million people were murdered for it. In the United States alone since 1973 when Roe v. Wade happened, we've killed 60 million of our own people trying to answer the question, whose life is more valuable? And there will come a day when our children or our grandchildren will look back on our generations and wonder how it could have ever happened. We look back on the Soviet Union. We look back on uh, Nazi Germany, and we wonder, how could anyone have ever let it happen? Who could be that naive to think that that was appropriate or okay or, or, or worthy of honor and respect and something to be celebrated? And one day, our children and our grandchildren will look back and say the same thing about us. How could you have ever tried to answer that question? We used to think science would win the day. But then we just changed the question because we didn't like what science had to say. So then we thought logic would win the day. 
But if you know anything about our society, logic will never win. In any arena. Here's the deal, right? We will celebrate someone who chooses, and this isn't on women. This is on a society, and men are as guilty as anyone. We will celebrate people who choose to enact their freedom to end an unborn life just because it's not viable out of the womb or we would say it might not be viable out of the womb or because it hasn't been born yet, but we have made it a federal crime that you will go to prison for 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 disturbing a bald eagle nest. You will go to prison for touching a sea turtle egg. Now, I'm not advocating messing with those animals' eggs. But I'm saying we will put people in prison for touching an egg. And then we will celebrate and put someone on the front cover of a magazine for ending an unborn life as though they've chosen some great freedom. Logic won't win the day either. And here's my third point. Jesus began a movement that you and I are called to carry on. We talked about this like two or three weeks ago. And we talked about the revolutionary ideas of Jesus, the revolutionary at the time, and how they have shaped the last 2,000 years of our world. We talked about how um, the role of women and the role of children and the role of the diseased and the disabled, how all of them are more valued and cherished and lifted up now because of the influence and the things that Jesus started than they were when he was around. Now, we recognize the world really, we still haven't gotten to the level where we live up to the fullest ideal of what Jesus taught. We're still working on getting there. But Jesus began a movement and has called you and I to carry it on. Um, here's one more scripture that I want to look. And this is actually not in your Bible app, I don't believe, but I do believe it will be on the screen. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Um, yes, Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's two aspects here that I want to point out. There's a lot to this. We could spend a lot of time dissecting it. There's two parts that I want to point out. First, in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Something has shifted. We started to understand that there's something more than just what meets the eye. 
with people, and it began with Christ. It started out that he was a good teacher, he was a good moral philosopher, he was a miracle worker, he was a humanitarian. He did a lot of great things for a lot of people, but something shifted when we came to a realization that he was more than just a man. That he wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't just a miracle worker, but that he was God who had come to save us. And it shifted something so that we no longer view Christ just according to what we see or hear or what we now, for you and I, read about and what happened in his life. We understand that there's more than meets the eye. And that it lays, that's the foundation for what we believe in Christianity. And it extends now to others. Notice, Paul says here, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Not just Jesus. It's not just Jesus that we see more of inside, but it's each and every one of us. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh. What you see, what characteristics you think you can categorize somebody by, there's something different. There's something deeper. There's something special. And you and I, because of Christ and what he has done, we now view one another through a different lens. And then, because Jesus came to reconcile us, verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile us back to our creator. We have this unique relationship with God like we talked about, but for all of us, it's fractured. It's fractured because of our rebellion and our our idolatry. Because we chose to worship someone or something as God other than God. Mostly it's ourself. We treat ourselves as God. As though we're supreme over anything and everyone. As though what, what we want, what we desire, what we need should supersede everything else in this world. And essentially without bowing down to ourselves or creating an idol of ourselves, we worship ourselves. We've committed treason against the king of the universe. And Christ came to reconcile us back to our creator, to bridge the gap that our sin created. But then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave you and I the ministry to carry on what he started, Supremely, it's to carry on his ministry of of helping people to see their sin so they can be reconciled back to God. But it also means that we carry with us a ministry of reconciliation between people. That just like Jesus took the downtrodden and those who the society ignored, and he lifted them up. He lifted up women, he lifted up children, he lifted up the diseased, he lifted up the disabled, and he lifted up the poor. Everyone who everyone else in society ignored, he lifted them up. And we're called to a ministry of reconciliation to lift them up, to lift those who are down. Now, what qualifies as people who are down and disregarded by our society changes over time, but you and I have a ministry that doesn't change, and it's to reach down and to pick those up who society has chosen to ignore. Sometimes they ignore them because of their status. They ignore them because of their skin color, or they ignore them because of their development stage in life. 
and we're called to pick them up, to raise them up to a new level, to care for them, to love them, to serve them. That's what we're called to. We're called to carry on the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus has left for us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time to be here. And certainly, some of the things we talk about today are not necessarily feel-good, warm, fuzzy ideas, but they're important. And they're important because they recognize and honor who you are and what you've done in creating us. And Jesus, I pray that you would be honored by how we respond to you. Lord, that what we say, what we think, what we do, what we pray, what we sing would be worthy of you, the creator of life, whose image we each bear. I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed for just a moment. Um, Jesus in Acts chapter 3 is called the author of life. And what's ironic is that the author of life was murdered. He was murdered on a cross so that you and I could have life. The irony of ironies. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came to give life and give it to the fullest or give abundant life. He came to give us a life that we can't get on our own. A life that extends beyond our own abilities. A life that only God can offer. The author of life died so that you and I could have abundant life. Life to the fullest. A life that truly matters. A life that even when this earthly life ends, continues on for eternity. And just as Jesus gave an invitation to the people who followed him and who listened to him and to, who heard him, during his ministry and his life, just as Jesus' followers began to carry on the ministry of reconciliation as the early church in the first century got its start, the invitation is open and available to you as well today. Choose life. Choose the life that only Jesus can offer. Choose the life that he gave his up so that you could have. At the end of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, there is this call that's given out to a group of people to make a choice. That God had put a choice before them, and they were called to make a decision about it. And, and here's, I want to read part of this to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. 
See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish over the Jordan Uh, You shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. The Israelites were about to enter into the promised land, a physical land God had promised those people. And their leader says, I'm setting before you a decision today. Either choose life or choose death. You choose life by pursuing the Lord who loves you, who is your life, who is your length of days, who has promised to, to, to protect you and care for you, or you can pursue other gods. You can pursue other things to worship. You can chase after other things. I've put before you this decision. Choose life. And the decision is there for you as well. Today, are you going to continue to worship yourself? Are you going to continue to worship someone else in this world? Are you going to worship something? Or will you worship your creator, the author of life? who died on the cross to give you true life, who has extended invitation, if you will believe on him, if you will invite him into your life, you will confess him as Lord and Savior, and he will give you life and life abundantly. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. As we respond to you, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in meditation, whether it's in singing, whether it's in taking communion, We honor you in the life you gave for us. Lord, I pray that in each one of our hearts today, we choose life. We choose your life. We choose to follow, to serve you with all of our lives. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in your name.